It's the e-commerce master plan podcast here to help you solve your marketing problems and grow your e-commerce business. Cutting through the hype to bring you inspiration and advice from the e-commerce sector and beyond. Here's your host, Chloe Thomas. Hello and welcome to this episode of the e-commerce master plan podcast. I'm Chloe Thomas, the creator and host of this award-winning show, and it's my aim in every episode to help you find ways to improve your e-commerce business. So thank you for tuning in. I would love to know how the show helps you. Do let me know via social media with the hashtag ecommasterplan. In today's episode, I'm catching up with a big sustainable fashion retailer and we're going to be talking about making that shift from a predominantly offline marketing plan, i.e. we're talking catalogues and mail order, into a predominantly digital campaign how they've done that with the team, how they've done that with other elements as well. And we're going to be getting into that knotty, difficult e-commerce question that is attribution. Just where did those sales come from? We'll also be talking a little bit about stacking your promotions and working out what promotions you should be running and when. There's some really great tips for even the smallest business here. But if you are one of the smallest businesses, don't get too hung up on attribution because you've got to get quite big before it really becomes a problem. So don't get scared by that bit. The bigger businesses, if you're not yet doing it, you're going to want to. And this episode is going to help you work out how to do that. Right. Before we get into all of that, please do check out the sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by Clavio, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for brands of all kinds and sizes. Whether you're an entrepreneur just starting out or you're part of a marketing team at a multinational brand, Clavio will give you everything you need to create memorable marketing moments, building customer relationships that keep shoppers coming back time and time again. Get started with a free account today. Visit clavio.com slash masterplan. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash master plan. Tailwind is the tool that feels like a marketing team. Create, schedule and optimise your marketing with Tailwind. Create, transform your photos into beautiful social media posts in one click. Schedule, spend less time scheduling your content and more time doing the things only you can. Optimise, take the guesswork out of growing your business. We use Tailwind to help us do all this and manage our Pinterest and Instagram accounts. So join me on the platform today. Plus, they're offering $15 credit for all first-time subscribers. You can try it out with a free account via ecmp.info forward slash Tailwind. That's ecmp for e-commerce master plan dot info forward slash Tailwind ecmp.info forward slash tailwind to open your free account today. And now to introduce today's special guest. Ryan Shannon is the Managing Director at Bam Bamboo Clothing, an activewear brand on a mission to make clothing more sustainable. Founded in 2006, they now do £20 million a year in sales. Hello, Ryan. Hi, Chloe. Thank you for having me. That's exciting to have you here. We're talking about some big trends, aren't we? Because sustainability is forever now becoming a huge trend and active wear likewise, even if it's just to sit at home and work. Um, But um, 
Ryan, I've given our listeners a very quick overview of you and your business. How did you get started in e-commerce though? I've been in the marketing industry for over 30 years, so uh, actually pre-internet. So e-commerce wasn't a thing when I started, but I've always been involved in data and creative and media, which I guess now is called performance marketing, but how those all work together. So very much in the traditional direct marketing field. And then as the internet grew, um, I was always on the agency side. So working with lots of brands initially to know what e-commerce would mean for their businesses. But also, I've always maintained a balance between where e-commerce and digital marketing and now social marketing fits in, but not forgetting the power of offline as well. Because it's quite interesting, I know we're going to talk about this later, but BAM is is a highly online digital business. And you've only been there for two years. And I think many people would have thought someone with direct marketing experience coming into a catalogue retailer would have been, we're holding on to the catalogue at all costs. So it's it's really interesting that you've actually kind of taken the skills you had in the world of direct marketing and used them to drive a business into the online space. Yeah. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's still tremendous value in catalogue um, and we will continue to use it at BAM, you know, in a way that we know is giving us a good return on investment. Um, but you're right, the the balance when I joined BAM two years ago was was a surprise to me in that probably about 70% of our marketing budget went on offline and I just felt there were huge opportunities to do more in the digital space. And uh, so set that plan in motion. Um, certainly the year that we've just been through with COVID has accelerated that beyond all expectations to the point where now our marketing is probably split 70% in favour of digital channels. That's one serious switch. So we'll get into that shortly. But first of all, let's tell everyone a little bit more about BAM. So where in the world are you and where do you sell to? We're based predominantly in Plymouth, in Devon, a nice part of the world to live. Um, We do have a small office in London, predominantly product design and merchandising, just a sort of historical uh, position from people who joined the business earlier. Um, 98% of our customers are in the UK, and uh, not surprising because that's where 99% of our marketing takes place. So (laughs) um, an international is something we are actively looking at uh, growing this, this coming year. And we're not going to get into it, but I'm guessing you're quite glad you didn't try and get into it last year with all that's currently happening with trying to get things across UK borders. But let's not get let's into not that. Let's not get me on that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, cool. So it's primarily UK business selling to the UK. And what platform are you selling on? Are you a Shopify, a Magento or something else? We're on WooCommerce. And the that was a platform that was already in existence before I joined, but um, very much chosen because of its open source uh, nature and the fact that it's flexible and scalable. Um, and, you know, there are, it, it works for a company of our size, but it has the ability to grow with us. Yes, there's a huge amount of power in it. And I, I find obviously often people are kind of like, ooh, WooCommerce. It's like, well, actually, BAM's an example of quite how much you can achieve with it. Um, given you're on uh, WooCommerce, are there any particular widgets or plugins you'd like to give a plug to? I'm not going to name any particular ones, but uh, and I must admit that it was probably beyond my knowledge. So I did actually check with our <laughs> head of digital, and he informs me that we've got over 30-plus plugins uh, working on our site. Um, some of them are operational, so payment gateways, um, address lookup, and things like that. But other, the majority of them are there to enhance the, the customer experience. 
so things like wish lists um gift cards and and in-cart messages so we've got a lot i'm not going to plug one in particular um <laughs> but um that's one of the things around woocommerce though is that you can normally find a plugin that will get you a long way to implementing a new bit of functionality and so uh, that, that's quite a key part to, to being on the platform it makes testing and flexibility a lot easier, doesn't it? When you're yeah, on it can a be cost effective. So you, be done. Yeah, mm. you don't have to go on some huge development project to try and work out whether or not a piece of functionality is going to give you a good return. You can at least, even if you just test it with a plugin and then develop it afterwards, it just gives you that flexibility. Yeah, exactly. And um, and what does the team look like? Obviously, you said some of them are in London and some of them are in Plymouth, but um, but are you doing everything in-house? Are you outsourcing anything? Uh, we have a combination. We do a lot in-house, um, but we are a relatively small team still. So there's about 50 people in the business in total. But half of those are, because we have our own warehouse, our own customer service team, and our own returns department, about half of them are in that sort of operational side of the business. The marketing team is about 12 people. We have our own design uh, not product as well we do have our own product design but i'm not including them in that number um this is more design of the website catalog photo photo shoots creative assets that we use for our marketing um and then we have um e-commerce professionals who are looking after our website from a merchandising point of view someone in charge of offline marketing uh email uh social um and then a head of digital who sort of oversees all of those digital ops so a relatively small team, um, but we also then work with agencies. So we have media agency, retargeting agency, um, we have a CRM agency, and most recently we've been working with a CRO agency. Plenty of CRs. <laughs> yes, yeah, sorry for all the acronyms, but I'm assuming most people who are listening to this will probably understand most of them. Yeah, so CRM, we're meaning uh, database management and I guess attribution in there as well? Yes, yes. So they, they uh, hold a single customer view um of our of our customer base and we use that for all sorts of campaign planning and uh, analysis and attribution is one of the latest things that we've developed through them and that's tapestry isn't it that is tapestry yeah and i have to mention tapestry because lara at tapestry was kind enough to introduce ryan to introduce ryan to me which is why we get to hear his story today so i think tapestry deserve a mention for that if nothing else um and then cro of course is conversion rate optimization as well and what I thought was quite quite interesting, you know, as we we started talking earlier about digital and offline marketing, is you were telling us we had like the marketing team doing the design with the e-commerce. We've got uh, the email marketer, the social media, the head of digital, and you've got one person on offline marketing. And I think it's often the case because you know when you're a mail order, you know, as some of you listening will know, I started off in mail order back in the early 2000s and have experienced much of this shift to digital. So, uh, you know, I have catalogue in my heart. Um, but it you can do an awful lot more with a lot less manpower with offline than you can with digital, which I think is something which often gets overlooked in the mix of catalogue business migrating to digital as you go from one catalogue manager and a design team to suddenly a whole set of different disciplines. Is that something which you found easy to recruit for all those different disciplines and to test and to grow? Or has it been more of a, well, we'll use agencies for specialisms and get generalists on board? Yeah, it's a good question, actually. I think 
with offline marketing being more established, so we say, even though digital's been around 20 odd years, but I think it is easier to outsource parts of that. You don't want to be a printer, for example. You don't really want to be a <laughs> you know data pool. You know, so there are there are there are established businesses that are able to support your offline requirements. And also I do think the lead times are longer. So you're not managing things micromanaging things on a day-to-day basis. Digital, I think, is a slightly different beast in that it's it's constantly on. As, as you know, we talk about being on, you know, constantly on. That is the case. So therefore you need people monitoring, managing, and measuring what's happening. Um, that can be done through an agency infrastructure, but it becomes a little bit uh a little bit difficult sometimes and also you may be giving up some opportunity to really react quickly to something and so that's why i think we build a, an in-house digital team but then support them with experts in you know specifics like media um and, and buying and um retargeting you know using tools that we wouldn't want to build in-house but having people inside the business who really understand how those tools work and can direct that agency and work with that agency quite closely, but you maintain that control in house and visibility in house. Yeah, I think that there's often a, an angle for when you're picking an agency, you pick you you choose to spend your agency money in areas where you benefit from them having doing it twenty four seven and from them seeing it in other businesses. Mm-hmm. Whereas you get quite sometimes in some disciplines you get quite blinkered if you're only doing it in-house yeah and that's where i think you 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 hit on something there about one of the benefits i think of using an agency is they they're probably a little bit ahead of the curve in terms of what's new and what's coming because they're seeing it across their whole client base um and they you can benefit from their experience and learning elsewhere where they're not so good is really interpreting how that could work for your particular business and that's where you and and you need someone who can be that brand aficionado but has sufficient depth of knowledge of what the agency's doing to be able to help them interpret how to do it best. Yeah, it's a real partnership, isn't it, when it works? It is, yeah. <laughs> and it isn't a partnership when it doesn't. Um, so we've looked at the the team element of, or a little bit, of, of making that shift from true mail order to online acquisition. You've been kind of driving this this shift over the last two years. I guess what... Why was it you wanted to to make the change when you first started at BAM? I think it was just that I could see huge opportunity that um, that they they weren't taking advantage of, partly because they were able to deliver the level of growth that they'd set themselves by you know continuing as they were and, and just gradually introducing uh, increasing their digital um, marketing. But I think it was just, it just felt totally out of balance for a business that was web-based, predominantly 90, you know, 95% of our sales come through the, directly through the website, 5% through our customer service team. Um, and yet we weren't using the digital, uh, wider digital world to really drive the volume of people to our website. And And luckily we did, because last year, I think, you know the flexibility that digital media gives you as a business enabled us to react much more uh, op- optimistically to the whole lockdown and COVID situation than we would have been had we been tied totally into very heavy catalog mailing offline activity, which are you know long lead times and and you know happen on set dates. We 
we were much more flexible in the digital world. So that wasn't necessarily the reason I started. The, start, the reason I started was I could see huge benefits to you know growing some of these other channels um, in terms of performance. But that flexibility really paid off last year. We mentioned about the percentage spend. So you were about 70% offline. We reckon you're probably now about 70% digital. Has that also accelerated the growth of the company, adding all these additional marketing channels in? Yes. I, I mean, we have to believe so. Um, you know, we, we we had a phenomenal year last year. Um, some of that was definitely down to circumstance and that we were e-commerce business 100%. You know, we didn't have retail bricks and mortar to worry about. We didn't have a wholesale arm to worry about. Um, so it was definitely down to our product range, you know, active wear, you know, people were working from home, they were exercising more, we were in that sweet spot. Um, but I do believe our, our ability to turn more into digital channels quickly enabled us to react to the situation that was happening, that was changing on a day-to-day basis. Um, and also gave us the confidence that we could dial up demand or dial it back down if stock became an issue. Whereas if you send the catalogue out and you're out of stock by the time it lands, then it's wasted money. Now, so we were able to change our, our marketing uh, intensity based on where we were with stock levels and offers as well. Um, so it was, it's just that flexibility that really gave us the, the growth. It takes a lot of the stress out of booking your production capacity I'd imagine as well if you're I mean it must have been one of the hardest things to do last year was was predict how much stock you actually need and to know you can turn it up and turn it down takes some of the fear and the stress factor out of that I should imagine yeah I mean um, as an example of that I think prior to last year we set a budget at the beginning of the year and a sales forecast that sat alongside achieving that budget and we ran that for the year and measured the business performance against it by the time we got to the end of our last financial year, which was just jet end of January, we were running our business against reforecast six. And so, it's, you know, we thought we'd have to reforecast once, and that was a major change, but to be on the sixth one. And that obviously then flows through to what demand you're predicting is therefore what stock you need to order. Um, and, and our challenge is slightly different in that we have very long lead times because we manufacture all our own products um, from bamboo, which is not a, you know, it's not it's not a, fabric that people have on their shelves we have to we have to commit all the way through the supply chain and and so our challenge last year was actually managing our marketing so that we didn't over create demand for product that we were going to be unable to fulfill and so it was more about margin management and stock management than it was necessarily about driving demand i'll, I'll come back to that margin management bit in a second but first of all you have to book your bamboo before it gets harvested and turned into cloth right the way through to to it actually arriving at the warehouse? Almost. It's not quite as... So most bamboo that is harvested is then turned into pulp. Most of that pulp goes in to make paper products. That's probably about 90% of bamboo goes in to make paper-based products. The rest, some of it then goes into yarn. So the yarn manufacturing does exist without... Uh, but but it's only really once we place an order with our factories to produce a garment do they then buy the fabric does that then create the order for the yarn it's not like there's you're not negotiating with farmers no no <laughs> not we're not quite. quite gone that far but it, it does have a longer lead time than say you know uh, paper is probably a good example you know bamboo does get made into paper and it sits and then it gets manufactured into something 
not many people take bamboo yarn and turn it into the fabrics that we want to use and then have it sat there so that the factories can just go dye it black, send it to us, we'll make something. So it is a slightly more complicated supply chain than, than some other sort of products have. How interesting. Well, I said I'd come back to margin management because I think that's something which a lot of businesses struggled with last year. So idea we've only got so much stock, so what do we do with it? And I think the the ones which had the best years last year were the ones who worked out how to sell what product they had for the maximum possible return. So there are there any kind of key lessons you learned from that last year that, that you'd be willing to share? Yeah, I mean, as a direct business, we are very uh, reliant on offers and promotions. Um, and I think the lesson we learned from last year is don't be driven by your promotional calendar. Be driven by what's happening in front of you. And so as a brand, we've been quite keen to dial back our promotions and try and sell more product at full price, which is not a magic formula. Everyone's trying to do that. But we did. We, we managed to do that partly because the demand was there, but partly because we were, again, flexible and, and challenged ourselves to say, right, do we really need to do that 15% off? Do we need to have a mid-season sale? Do we need to go crazy on Black Friday or do we need to do anything on Black Friday? And so we, every promotion that came up as to the one we would normally expect to start at that time and run at that time and, and what level of promotion we were going to do, we questioned it. And by questioning it, it and taking just a breath before it carried on, um, we actually pulled out of quite a lot of them or reduced them by either their exposure. So we went and rewarded. So we did one promotion where we went back and rewarded everyone who'd ordered with us through february through to may when it was that really period of uncertainty and they you know we rewarded them for saying thanks for sticking with us you know it's it's enabled us to carry on here's whereas before we probably would have gone with a site-wide promotion everyone rocked up gets 15 percent off or goes into the sale and so it's really that and that was about that makes a huge difference in terms of you know margin uh, that you recover and more importantly it's created a mindset within the business of we don't have to do it just because we did it last year. Yeah, which is such an easy trap to fall into. Well, every every February the 14th, I don't know why I'm picking Valentine's Day, but there we go, we'll roll with it. <laughs> uh, every February, it's a terrible example. Let's change, I'm going to change my example. Every March the 14th, we always give 20% off. It's like, well, why? And mm. do we need to? Because if a promotion isn't delivering you something at a good price... Why, why would you run it? So yeah, I love that. Sense check and question your promotions and then also don't give it to everybody. That's, that's the other thing I find very frustrating with promotions is when, when businesses just blanket it to everyone when they don't need to. But yeah. I'm about to start ranting about promotions, which is not <laughs> what we need right now. Um, Ryan, we can't be talking about the shift to more digital marketing without talking about the massive elephant in the corner of the room, which I have spent so much of my life discussing this with mail order businesses who are used to catalogues, be able to fully attribute back who bought what to which bit of marketing spend, which becomes incredibly complex when you add digital marketing into the piece. If you're just doing online, it's fairly complicated. You add in the offline element, it becomes really, really hard work. How have you gone about tackling that huge problem? Uh, yeah, so it, it, it is a problem. And, and now we've tackled it. And we've got partly through the other side. I've, it's proven how important it is to tackle it because it gives you some very different insights into your business. But I think the first thing, predominantly catalogue, we sort of view digital as 
what will it ladder on top of what we could do with the catalog and cat- yeah, offline is relatively easy you know you've mailed even if they don't use a promotion code you can eventually map it back to say well okay they they ordered within two weeks of receiving a catalog we'll we'll give the catalog that sale even just having some digital activity that runs alongside it it was hard to then say well you know who saw the catalogue and who went on to buy. Um, but you can do that, and you can, you won't get an exact number, but you'll get a, a rough uh, a, a attribution to say, we think we've incrementally increased sales by X. When you tip it the other way, and the digital is driving the majority of, of uh, activity, and especially new customers, and your offline is sort of adding a bit of uh, increase over and above that, attribution becomes a completely different animal. Um, and then when you say, in order to increase that level of digital spend, we're using more channels, we're using more techniques, we're going deeper into some channels, it becomes even more complicated. And not something that we tackled on our own. This is where Tapestry, who we mentioned earlier, have been a key part to this. So they helped us go through the last 12, 18 months, two years probably where we started this, to say, you've got to try and isolate what each channel is bringing and then retrospectively uh, portion what you expect that level of response to be Um, and that's what we've done to a point now where we I think we have pretty robust numbers to say this is how much it costs us to recruit through the spend in these channels this is how much those people go on to be worth in 12 months time so not only do you see the uh, campaign result by channel but you see the value of the customers that they brought in and we're actually using that now to start making decisions around where we invest. And now you add social into that, which is even less of a direct you know, connection between what people see on social and going on to buy. We're starting to do incrementality testing by you know, showing some audiences social and not. You can start to get a number that says it gives a 20% uplift, and then you can start applying that in your attribution model. And so, but it takes time. You have, to do, you have to do the testing. You have to do the holdout cells, which cost you, you know, lost sales in that in that short period of time but the, the data that it then gives you in order to then do the attribution modeling is invaluable um and it's probably my number one focus in terms of what we're learning about our marketing spend and we're now taking it to the next level and saying right well within ppc what does shopping give you versus generic versus non-brand but again you have to do the testing to to learn so it wasn't easy but it's well worth the investment, but it will take time. It's not something you can pick off the shelf and just go or apply my apply my marketing plan to that attribution model. You have to learn it for your own customers, your own market, your own products. Yeah, see, I, think, I find a lot of people kind of want the silver bullet and they want to just be able to switch something on and lo and behold, all my attribution is amazing. It's like, well, yes, you can get something that you can switch on that will give you half the puzzle in that, all the things that impacted a sale, or most of them, because as you mentioned, social is incredibly hard, organic social, incredibly hard to bring into the mix, especially Instagram without without links. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's only that's only the start of the battle, isn't it? Okay, okay, great. I know that twenty percent of PPC sales were in, by which I mean Google ads um, were impacted by email marketing. Brilliant. What do I do with that? And that's where you have to start working out, would we have still got the sale with one or the other and all the rest of it? So when you're saying, because you used a few bits of jargon that the listeners may not understand. So I kind of want to walk through an example. And Ryan, you tell me if I'm on the money or way off the mark. Um, 
So when you're saying about holding cells, that's literally we've got we're running some Google ads and we've identified a seg two segments of or we a segment of the database. I'm confusing myself, sorry everybody. We're doing Facebook ads, we've identified a segment of our database, we've siphoned off 10% of that segment that we're not going to put Google ads to and we're literally suppressing them from seeing any Google ads. We run it to the others and we do this over a month, two months and see what their overall spend is? Yes, but rather than necessarily running it against segments, what you might do is geographically. Oh, okay. So we would choose six or seven regions in the country that we think combined, representative of sort of the what the country looks like, and we would switch off Google Ads in those geographical areas and run them elsewhere, run all your other activity as normal, and a month later measure the impact and say, well, you know, sales, like for like sales in those areas were 20% lower or, and then you realize that that's probably what the Google ads revenue is, is adding. That makes it sound really simplistic and it, it's not always quite as simple as that, but that's the theory. <laughs> you switch it off in some uh, completely identifiable, protectable place. You know, it can be that you know, you don't mail a certain portion of them a catalog and only do social activity to them and see what, so there are different ways depending on what you're going to test, but that's the principle. You have to try and find a, a volume of people or a media or a geographical area or a channel that you isolate a certain number of people from. And then, and you can only do one thing at a time. That's the really frustrating thing. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's, it does take a long time because you can only, you need to do it over a reasonable period of time, a couple of weeks or a month, but you can only do, if you're doing Google ads, you can't test the Facebook ads, you can't test the catalog, you can't test the email. It's one thing at a time. And and I love that doing it geographically because that's probably considerably easier to set up, uh, which makes so much sense. Um, and then from that, you're creating rules that you then, or assumptions, I suppose, that you then roll with for the next year until you until you have a testing window to test it again. Is that right? Uh, yeah. So once we, we have a set of rules, we can then apply that until we learn something that tells us that that rule no longer applies or that something else that you hadn't measured is having a, you know, so that 20% uplift, yes, but actually only 15% of that should be attributed to that. And the other 5% should actually come from from social, which you hadn't been attributing anything to or something like that. So that's where, so you're constantly adding more rules really as you get to, into a more granular level of understanding. And so that, that, that goes into the attribution model. The other thing that we're, we're doing, which sort of informs the attribution model, but it's not quite as clean totally as a, as a sort of that sort of test that I just talked through um, is that we put some content onto Facebook that that was the only place that it appeared and and the call to action was to sign up to our newsletter through a particular landing page. So we knew the only place that 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 someone landing on that landing page and doing that action could have come from would be in Facebook. And then we able to get an absolute number because we collected the data and we compared that to what Facebook told us had been the response. <laughs> and interesting. <laughs> it was dramatically different. I'll save their blushes to say how dramatically different, but yeah, and so that's therefore though that that gives us an in indication. What it's really indicated is we can't trust Facebook's own numbers; they're too optimistic, and therefore we're now embarking on a further testing to say, can we try and measure what the actual um, impact of it, of um, Facebook is? At the moment, we're just cutting it in half and basically saying 
that's as close as we're going to get. And then we're going to go and measure um, to try and get more accurate picture. What I quite liked from from that Facebook idea as well is you could do that with your organic traffic on any channel, send them to a, to a, a discrete landing page, capture those people and then track them over time to see if they're worth anything to you. And then you get an idea of the value of each of the organic social social channels. But Ryan, as much as I would like to keep talking to you about this, we have to play uh, our sponsor sponsors ads and get to the top tips round. So, uh, so let's do that. E-commerce master plan is supported by some of the greatest companies in the e-commerce sector. Here's a reminder of who they are. Success in 2021 means building stronger relationships with your customers. Last year saw a lot of consumers switching to buy online, leading to surges in new customer acquisition. So how are you planning on turning your new first-time buyers into profitable repeat customers? Well, that's what Clavio is for. Clavio helps businesses create memorable marketing moments through email, SMS and personalised website experiences. And that is what creates repeat purchases. That's why Clavio, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform, platform is used by over 50,000 e-commerce brands around the world. Get started with your free account today. Visit klaviyo.com slash masterplan. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O. Tailwind is the tool that feels like a marketing team. Create, schedule and optimize your marketing with Tailwind. Create, transform your photos into beautiful social media posts in one click. Schedule. Spend less time scheduling your content and more time doing the things only you can. Optimise. Take the guesswork out of growing your business. We use Tailwind to help us do all this and manage our Pinterest and Instagram accounts. So join me on the platform today. Plus, they're offering $15 credit for all first-time subscribers. You can try it out with a free account via ecmp.info forward slash tailwind. That's ecmp for e-commerce master plan dot info forward slash tailwind. ecmp.info forward slash tailwind to open your free account today. App.com forward slash master plan. It's time for the top tips round. Okay, I love this section because it gives me and our listeners some really quick ideas for taking your businesses to the next level. So everyone, this is quicker to implement than attribution, I promise you. Um, Ryan, you ready for these? I hope so. Okay, the book top tip. If everyone listening to this podcast agreed to take Friday off and read a book to make their business better, which book would you recommend? So I'm not going to recommend a business book because I tend to find speaking to people who are actually in in, in the businesses and doing it here and now is more useful. Um, and listening to things like like Chloe's podcasts, for example, getting real life examples. But I do read, even in the digital world, companies are still made up of people predominantly. And so I do read quite a lot of leadership books about how do you meld a team how do you get them all aligned? And so the one I would recommend, it's a bit old now, but it's the one that Clive Woodward wrote called Winning after they won the Rugby World Cup back in 2003, which has got some really good insights into how you take a whole organisation and get it focused and moving into one goal. No, I've had that on my must-read list since 2003. Well, probably 2004. So you may have inspired me to actually open it, um, (laughs) which is about time. Well, look, the traffic top tips next. Which marketing method do you either prize above all others or think doesn't get the press it deserves? 
Well, I'm actually going to go back to catalogue, actually, for a second. And uh, this may be luck through or, or just fortuitous, but one of our top-selling products is our socks. And the, the thing with a sock is you can put it in an envelope. And so we found that one of the ways to get huge response from our catalogues um, is to send it out with a free pair of socks. So you could cynically say, well, it's just a free gift. But the added benefit is they get to put them on and they are incredibly soft, incredibly comfortable. And so it's it's actually putting a bit of uh, uh, confidence behind our brand and saying, we're so com- confident you'll love our product. We're going to send it to you for free. And so that's had a real uh, that that's extended the life of catalog for us in uh, in recruitment. Wow, that's that's really you have to really know your numbers to be able to do that kind of marketing. Okay, the tool top tip: maybe a collaboration tool, a social media plugin, a phone app, or just a way of working. Is there a cool little tool you use that makes you and your team more efficient from day to day? We've sort of adopted Asana within the organisation. It, it was very much a almost a scheduling tool to start with in our creative team but we've managed we've expanded it out now to become more of a project management tool and i think with a lot of homeworking it's been invaluable you can dip in and out at your own uh your own choice of time um and 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 look exactly what's been happening in the project while you've been away and you can also assign tasks so that's been that's been a really useful tool for us as a business yeah, I think remote working only works if you've got a project management tool. Otherwise, it just becomes a bit unbearable. Um, <laughs> okay, the growth top tip. If you met someone today who's focused on growing their e-commerce business from 100 orders per month to 1,000, what would be your number one tip for them? Again, I'm going to cheat a little bit on this one. I think my first number one tip would be to want to know why they want to do that. Because you can ease, you can throw money at media. That's easy. And you can generate orders. But it's at what cost? And then, like we talked about earlier, it's at what value do those customers bring you in the future? So I think once you understood why and why they thought they could um, uh, increase their orders from 100 to 1,000, I would say make sure you can operationally cope with it. It's, it's, it's easier to throw money at the media and drive the orders than it is to operationally cope with it. Don't compromise on service or quality. Um, but also make sure you're doing it profitably. And only on that basis would I then say to them, yeah, great, embark on your journey to a 1,000 orders a month. I love it. Very sensible checks and measures there. It's not. It's all about the profit at the end of the day. It's not about hitting the 1,000. Uh, well, look, Ryan, thank you so much for all of that. But before we say goodbye, could you let the listeners know where they can find you and BAM on the web and social media, please? Of course. Um, thank you. Uh, so we'll be on bambooclothing.co.uk. Um, that's our website. If you want to follow us on Instagram as our main social channel, we're bamboo underscore clothing. Uh, Facebook, we're at bamboo clothing. Um, we're also on Twitter and Pinterest, um, but that's not such a heavily used channel for us. Um, and you can find some of our amazing videos on uh, on YouTube, which is bam dash bamboo clothing. Excellent. Well, look, Ryan, thank you so much. It's been it's been cool getting into attribution, which is something I love to find out more about. And hopefully we've helped some of the audience in that arena too. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you very much. And uh, what I would say is, having said that uh, we're trying to dial away from discounts, if there is anyone who wants to go onto the website and buy, I'm quite happy to offer you 15% off. Just use the promotional word masterplan. Oh, very nice. Thank you very much. I'm sure there will be some people heading over to find out just how good those socks are. (laughs) Okay, awesome. Thank you very much, Ryan. 
Thank you. Thanks for your time, Claire. So there you have it. If anyone tells you attribution is easy, ignore them and move on and talk to someone else because attribution, even if you're just doing digital, is hard. If you're doing digital and you're doing offline, it's even harder. And as we were just discussing there, really the only way to work it out is to pick a segment that you're not going to do something to, one thing, run that for a period of time, a number of weeks, a number of months, see what the impact is, i.e. the group of people you didn't do it to, how much did they spend? The group of people you did do it to, how much did they spend? And then you can see what the uplift, the increment is. And then you test it with the next thing. And that gives you a set of rules, i.e. we know that Facebook impacts sales by 20% for example. And you build that and then you go back and you test it again. And it is it is hard work, but it is hugely rewarding if you need to be pushing those budgets. So for the smaller businesses on listening to this, probably not something it's worth you yet doing. Bamboo Clothing are currently going through this process and they're turning over £20 million a year. That's an awful lot of of sales that they've got to help fund the attribution work, but also an awful lot of volume they've got to give them reliable answers when they're doing these tests. So attribution, hugely important to understand it, to understand the numbers you're looking at, but not every business should be trying to get fully into the weeds. But hopefully that chat with, with Ryan has given you some good thoughts on how to take it to into your business if that's the right thing for you guys to be doing right now. Now, to get your hands on the notes from today's show, including the top tips and links to what we've mentioned, head over to ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash podcast. There you can also add yourself to our list, email list even, so you don't miss out on any of the other things I share to help you improve your business, including each week week a tool recommendation and a cheap or free um, resource as well. Thank you so much for tuning into this and every episode of the e-commerce master plan podcast. I bring you a new interview every week because I want to inspire and help as many e-commerce business owners as possible to succeed and thrive with their business. So please do tell the other e-commerce business owners you know, because I would love to help them too. I hope you have a great week and don't forget to keep optimising. Thank you for listening to the e-commerce master plan podcast. Find out more at ecommercemasterplan.com slash podcast.